that's also one of the questions on um you pay the 36 questions to make you fall in love really yeah it's a, it's like describe your perfect day what can i say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i was like i was like is that where these guys are getting their ideas from they just like read these questions out <laughs> I had to bring that up. I had no, to. No, 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 no. <laughs> I was going to question Big Man. Go. First of all, cite your sources right now, bro. We're not, we're not going any forward. I, I need you to. I'm not even verbal. I'm not even verbal. Let me cancel all your plans. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm writing that one down. Yeah. New York Times. Are you joking? Go on. Suleiman. How was your week? How was my week? No, no, how's your week? Don't try to ask me first, bro. Okay, cool. My week. My week was good. Busy. Um, did I get up to anything cool? I'm trying to think. Oh yes, I watched the new Will Smith film. You know the one where uh, about oh, Serena and yeah, Venus yeah, Williams. Yeah, yeah. Was it King? Is it King John? King John? King Richard. King Richard. King Richard. I forgot the name. Uh, and yeah, it was really good. It was very. It was that kind of feel good vibe that you, you kind of leave the film. Leave the film thinking anything's possible. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you could grow up anywhere. <laughs> you, can, you, know, you come from any any background. You could just. You know I mean, you can be a tennis champion. But it was yeah, it was a really good film, and I think he might. I feel like he might win an Oscar for it. Really, so, uh, yeah, he's deservedly. He put in a good shift. Is it? Shift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think he's ever won an Oscar. And he's always yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but that's that's my week. How how's your week been? Uh, I came across a podcast called Movies That Changed Me, and I was what. And th- the idea is that they bring on people and then they talk about a film that changed their life or made them think differently or came at a formative period in their life, and it made me think about one film that I remember I watched when I was in my first year of sixth form. Mm. And before watching this film, my attitude towards like uni and sixth form and whatever was that I don't care what grade I get. As long as I don't, as long as I pass, whatever, so D, I'll just go on to the next year and pass and then just go wherever I go. I didn't even think about uni or that far ahead. And I remember there was this scene in that film where the guy said this line about, it was actually Zac Efron, even though he's not the main character. (laughs) And he was in. I don't remember the film, but I remember the scene very again. vividly. It might have what been. What happened in it? I actually can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was just after they won the basketball finals, <laughs> <laughs> and the score was just like. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, he was in. He was in like a university campus, and he was wearing this hat, a bubble hat. Yeah. If anyone's watched this film, just drop it on the comments. <laughs> do you get me? <laughs> and so he's like, university. I love university because it's an opportunity where you can do whatever you want to do or something like that. Yeah. I and I just remember thinking, oh, I never thought of university like that as a space yeah. like that. And so after that, I remember thinking, vividly thinking, this is what I remember from this film, vividly thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to take uni a bit more seriously because it's actually a, a destination in a sense. Mm. Before that, I just thought of it as a another thing that you have yeah. to do, if I was even going to do it. So yeah, that's the film that I would have said, even though I wouldn't know the name, I'll mm. just know that scene. So my question to both of you is, is there a film that changed you? Oh, that's a big question. That's a big question. I have, I, for a long time, I had a very specific list. Anytime anyone asked me what five, my five, my favourite film is, I had a list of five. I, now I can't remember all of them now. Um, first one was Matilda, Ooh. which was iconic because I wasn't allowed to watch a huge amount of films when I was growing up. That was one of them that was on the okay list. <laughs> and I had a VHS of it and I watched it repeatedly. But I was, in my head, I was Matilda. Like <laughs> I was, I used to stare at orange glasses. I used to read. I used to get books from the library and I was like, if Matilda's cool, then I am cool. And I wasn't, in any <laughs> sense of the word. I had friends-wise, <laughs> but, but as long as I had Matilda, I was fine. Um, and then I had 
the next one that always comes to my mind was I watched this a randomly BBC Four. I watched this French film called Two Days One Night, and it's really beautiful. It's about it's about this woman who's just had, for want of a better word, a mental breakdown. She's left work and she's got she's she's trying to get back into work, and her boss has said, uh, "You can come back to work, but if you come back to work, all of your." Um, teammates are not going to get a thousand euro pay rise. So she has to go around all of these people and convince them mm. to let her have the job mm. over taking a pay rise themselves. And it's really draining. She's obviously just had a mental breakdown. But I've never seen what my experience of mental health was in a film ever before in my life. And it was a really like uplifting ending, actually. And it wasn't cheesy. It wasn't like overdone. I didn't leave being like, everything's fine. Sad. It wasn't King Richard vibes. <laughs> but um, I did leave. I remember thinking that I'd never seen that experience like articulated mm. so well on screen and in a way that wasn't like in your face and it wasn't like stereotyping and it wasn't any of that um, and I think I feel like it had a really profound effect on me only because I hadn't seen it and I hadn't seen such a meaningful ending where someone like finds strength in themselves and I was like I can do it <laughs> <laughs> and yeah we did so yeah probably that That's I reckon nice. that yeah and Matilda I feel like there are so many international films or films made in foreign countries that are that I need to watch. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't know <laughs> anything about them, but like, I, I just know that <laughs> they're out there yeah. and I need to find <laughs> they're them. They're waiting for the yeah. whole world. They're just a whole other world, you know what I mean? That we just don't yeah. know about. Um, that's sick. My one's a quick answer, easy. Harry Potter. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> like, I remember watching Harry Potter growing up. I just thinking, he's a brave boy. <laughs> man. That, that guy, the way he just stands up to Voldemort, and he's, he's just on it. He's on it. And um, yeah. Is there a particular Harry Potter? Yeah, Harry Potter 4. I remember this one scene when, you know when Cedric dies? Remember yeah, that? Yeah, 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 yeah. And he yeah, comes around the corner. Ooh, and the, the, the beach. And then everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they're, yeah. they're all celebrating. Yeah. And then the whole crowd yeah. goes. And then Dumbledore runs yeah. in. Yeah, it's a big moment. Yeah, Harry Potter 4 is the best one. Harry is that the Goblet of Fire? Yeah, Goblet of Fire. Really? Th yeah, mm. yeah. That was, it was that one and number three are my two. two same, two same. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. are the objectively yeah, the best. Yeah, It gets a bit. I don't, actually, I don't want to say it's dead, but like number five and six. And yes, it gets dead. It gets dead. Really? It diverges too much from the books. Harry Potter is one thing that I realise is very generational because I think it's the coolest thing. I mean, or if you speak to anyone probably in like our generations, they will be have a huge response to Harry Potter. I spent ages in my teacher training year coming up with this like, are you a muggle? Are you a wizard? Like <laughs> genetic <laughs> exercise. Gave it to all the kids thinking like, they're going to think this is the sickest <laughs> idea. And they were like, what's Harry Potter? And I was like, oh no. That's I was like, crazy. damn. And like a few of them knew and they got really into it. Yeah. And I was like bonding with them. Everyone else was like, she made all of us about peas. <laughs> and I was like, damn. And I had all the little pictures on it. Are they making a new Harry Potter? Because I, I saw some trailer they're recently. No, no, I think, I think it's the 20th anniversary. anniversary so okay. they're just re-releasing it in cinemas, oh. I think. Mm -hmm. I think you can go and see Harry Potter in the cinema, which I will do. Yeah, yeah probably. I went to <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> I will too. <laughs> really? You went to Harry Potter? I went recently for the first time ever, recently. Oh, it was the best. Was it cool? <laughs> it was so was cool. cool. I was not expecting it to be cool because I thought, this is going to be really lame. This is going to be so... Firstly, it's huge. It takes like five hours. It's actually really, really cool. Yeah, I want it. I want it. I want it's actually like, would recommend. I never thought I'd say that, but I would recommend. I think even if you don't love it, it's actually just a really cool experience because I think being on film sets is actually quite magical because that's what it is. It's literally just a film set. Mm. Um, and you don't realise how much effort they put in. Like, they built a whole bank for two scenes. That's they built the whole crazy. bank. Like, the whole bank, you walk through it. It's crazy. So it's like insane to think of the effort that was put into it. Like, I mean, it could be directed elsewhere, but 
Nevertheless, cool. my one critique of Harry Potter is that he only uses one swell for like six films. Yes, that's true. true. He needs to mix it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't mix it up yeah. enough. He's yeah. got bravery and a s- and one spell. And Hermione. And Hermione. And she does all the good where things. Where would yeah, they yeah, have yeah, been without she Hermione? Actually, is any good idea? Hermione's. Yeah, I don't want to get this. I don't want to get this too much. Yeah, because I think it's a bit of a rabbit hole. But let me just ask you a question. You know, like the spells, do you yeah. just need to know how to say it or do you have to have like sincerity? <laughs> yeah, you do. Well, because like, with Guardian Leviosa, oh, yeah. you've got to feel it. Because I'm thinking if everyone, if everyone knows the spells, yeah. then you could start killing people with the family. <laughs> like, okay, you've yeah. you got, got to say it with a certain level. There is flaws mm. to Internal, it. yeah. There are definitely plot holes that we can explore for <laughs> oh, the rest there's of this so, There's podcast. so many. Like, yeah. why do they do anything? Magic yeah. in any film has huge plot holes. Yeah, of course. Of course. I'm turning it to my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Nabila, how's your week? Good. Very, very busy. I am currently like working and studying and I've had a lot of work deadlines and uni deadlines. So busy. Mm-hmm. Time to have good, but busy. Um, full of uh, meetings and Zoom meetings and real life meetings. And interesting lectures though. Oh, I went to a really good lecture yesterday. It's very cool. So it's nice to be excited by uni. Mm-hmm. So yeah, alhamdulillah. It's been good, but very, very a lot. When's like the day that things kind of... Tomorrow. Tomorrow is tomorrow the day. Tomorrow is the day. Tomorrow is the day. You're taking the day tomorrow off. Tomorrow is the day, yeah. yeah. What are you studying and what was the lecture? Uh, I am studying education, power and social change. Um, nice. And the lecture was interestingly on um, gender geographies. So one of my modules is critical social geographies. And the lecture was about like how spaces are gendered in certain ways and how that interacts with ideas of race and class. And it was really, it was a re- she was a really, really cool lecturer and I think it gave a lot of space to the students and the voices of the students. Mm. And a lot of the lectures I go to are very small. Like there's, it's more of a seminar than a lecture. There's like four or five people or 10, 20 maybe. Um, so it was really interesting. It was very, very cool. And uh, it was nice to hear like quite a uh, like young radical academic talking about her work. What what do you mean when you say that she gave a space to the students? Like, what, what does that mean? I think that she gave, um, as as in literal, like if you think of like percentage time talking, mm. she was doing a lot less of it than I would t- typically assume a lecturer would do. Mm. Um, so I think that was quite a big deal. Yeah. Um, and I think actually like giving voice to them, I think she was very, she was actually someone who I think was at even able to learn from the experiences of her students in that space, which is something that I'm learning about in different aspects of the course. And I think is really hard to do as a teacher is to actually take yourself out of the space of, I am the person who knows and you are the people who take in and I know and you take in and then we leave. Um, and I think there was a, uh, there was a good an hour of that because she did know stuff and I did take it in, mm. hopefully. But there was also a lot of her going, actually, that's a really interesting point And I hadn't, I hadn't considered that, but actually maybe this could link in here. And you actually had this space where there was someone who was a, a, an expert in her field, and there's no doubt about that, but was actually able to like engage with us from a position of not just I, no, no, I'm, but fundamentally I'm right, mm. but actually from a position of like your experiences are really important. And I think that was just, it's just been so different to my undergraduate experience, probably because I've shifted from science to social science mm. is a big part of it. Um, but I think also the, the uni I'm at has like, a culture of facilitating that, which initially I was quite skeptical of because I'm a scientist at heart. Mm. Um, but I've actually been really appreciating it. It kind of links to one realization that I've kind of come to believe that everyone in the class, nine times out of ten, has something to say yeah. or wants to say something or has an opinion, but they just might not feel confident enough to speak up or they mm. haven't given, they're not given the space to speak up. Because, yeah, yeah I, every time like I've been in a situation where I've said, cool, what do you think? 
like people have yeah, people have always have the interest. Yeah, and yeah, like yeah. if they're not, if if people aren't giving that nudge or that's I mean that little kind mm. of leg mm. up, then sometimes they they won't even say anything. Yeah. Were you someone in secondary school that raised their hand in class? Sometimes I didn't raise my hand, but <laughs> I was just speaking. I was just speaking. I was going to say, the like, did you raise your hand, question one? Did you speak? Question <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Break down the question. <laughs> yeah. It's too much. Uh, uh, yeah, that's my answer. So, some, I mean, I, didn't, I don't think I was shy to speak. Okay. Yeah, put simply. What about you? I don't think I was, no. Were you? Shy to speak? Were you? Yeah, in class. Uh, yeah, honestly, up until like year 10, yeah, mm. and then straight after that, there was no holding back. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, there was honestly you like a unleashed. turning point. There was a genuine turn, probably at like, halfway through year 10, year 11, yeah. I sort of realised I had a voice and I did, my, my teachers would call me a foghorn, like I did not shut up, shut up at all. What was the realisation? How did that I, actually, I don't remember. I honestly don't, I wish I did. Mm. I don't, I just think I, um, I think I shifted a group of friends. I think that was actually quite mm. a huge thing for me. Had a very specific group of friends that were very like, I'd landed in that. And my school was huge. It was 350 people in one year. Wow. So it was big, big school. Wow. It was like 2,000 people in total. So you could, lots of people navigated a lot of friendship groups quite a lot. Um, and I had a set friendship group that were just the people that were in my class, like my form. Um, and then I sort of drifted away from them and you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I found a new group of friends and I think I started finding a bit of a voice then, finding a bit of confidence. Um, and then, yeah, I, I didn't, I don't know if I would describe myself as very academically confident. I didn't think I was good at subjects. I still don't, but I thought that I was funny and I probably wasn't. <laughs> 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 but I thought I was cool and I was not. <laughs> but I talked a lot. And all my parents' evening feedback was, Nabila could be doing really well. But she just keeps talking. <laughs> Instead of asking for extension work, she keeps talking. And now I give that advice to Isn't students. Yeah. Well, have you have you given a parents evening? So many. Wow. Yeah, what is it, what is, what's it like being on the other side of the table? <laughs> That's wild, crazy. Wild. The first one was wild. Um, oh, it's fun. Wow. It's interesting. I think it's really nice to. S it's very important, I think, to actually meet families of kids. Helps you understand them a lot more. Mm. Um, I think the thing is, is like you talk to kids in that specific environment and not most of them will respond quite nicely. Like they understand, they're like, and you're, you're probably the same, right? You know when a teacher's like, you talk too much and you're like, yeah, I do. <laughs> um, very rarely do they like argue with you yeah. because they know you're right. But actually when you then put them back into the classroom space, they have all the same pressures and expectations they did before. Mm. Um, so there's always parents' evening and then the one week of joy after parents' evening when they're trying. Yeah. And then it kind of like is hard <laughs> afterwards. But yeah, it's fun. It is actually fun. And, it's, and I think the biggest thing for me has been actually being able to meet the parents mm. and understand the kids a bit more, particularly the ones that uh, like you're struggling to either engage with or um, man like manage their behavior or whatever it might be. I think it's, it's huge. But there's been so many funny time things, stupid things I've done at parents' evening. I accidentally, you talk a lot as a teacher, right? You're basically talking on loop for... <laughs> four hours, five <laughs> hours. And one time a parent was leaving and instead of saying what I was trying to say, which was lovely to meet you, I skipped out all the words <laughs> in between. They left and I just went, love you. <laughs> <laughs> and they turned around and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and it was my first parents evening. So there's lots of stuff like that. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> <laughs> I know. The mum just turned around <laughs> and went, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh. Did yeah. you guys see the Adele speech? That she, the, um, when she oh, mentioned well her, her teacher, teacher came up. Did you, did you hear that? I heard about it, but I ain't seen it. I've yeah, seen the yeah. clip. Have you seen I've the clip? seen the clip. Yeah. How did that make you feel as a teacher? Did it make you feel any type of way? Emotional. I can't deal with stuff like that. It makes me cry. 
Oh. Have you ever seen Freedom Writers? Yeah. Speaking of films, Ooh, that those films just film. make me cry. They just make me weep because I, and I think it's quite common. Like I think lots of people go into teaching wanting to have that experience mm. and wanting to have that impact. And actually, I think that lots of people don't realise it until they're older. And I wanted to go into teaching because I never, I don't, I can't look back at my teaching experience and go, yeah, that teacher really changed my life. I don't have anyone like that. Mm. So I wanted to be that for someone else. Mm. But I think you don't know that in the moment. Really um, but it ma- I can't deal. It makes me so emotional. The kids know this as well that I teach. Like, I just cry all the time. Do you? No. If they say nice, <laughs> when they say nice things, I cry all the time in I my life. Ooh. Not in class. Yeah. That would be terrible. Yeah. But sometimes if they say nice things, they know it will make me really emotional. That is so. Um, you know, you get like a card that's like, "Thanks, Miss. <laughs> You've been a great biology teacher." <laughs> <laughs> People always joke that I used to get really good apology letters, you know, when people have, like, messed up. Yeah. And they have to write them. They're like, sorry, I punched someone in your lesson. <laughs> what makes a good classroom? Oh, good question. Um, trust. Um, mutual respect. And I think that has to go both ways. I think a lot of times people think that the respect is just for the teacher, but I think you have to have a lot of respect for the kids in front of you, particularly if you are coming into their space um and like that includes like the wider geography of their area and i think it's something that i remember learning i've learned a lot about recently but also have had a lot of conversations with people that i know did things like teach first and i was similar i grew up in oxford and my first experiences of teaching in secondary school were in london and so i had to i felt like i had to have a lot of respect for the experiences of the people i was teaching because mine was not theirs and theirs was not mine and it was important to kind of meet in the middle um and not go like I, you know, my, uh, my experience has been better than yours and like, I, know, I know what I'm doing. And, and I think that I would love for t- classrooms to have more of that dynamic of we can all learn from each other. I don't think the system is set up to allow that at the moment. I don't think that the culture of most schools facilitates that in a respectful way. I wish it did, but I don't think it does yet. How much agency do you have as a teacher to really like, shape the culture of the class? Um, it depends a lot on the school. Um, I think that uh, some schools, um, people will pop into your lessons a lot, Mm. which means that you tend to be watched more. um, And so therefore things will become clear, like whether you're upholding behavior policies, whether you're teaching the PowerPoint that you've been told to teach. Some schools will give you PowerPoints to teach. It's very, very school dependent. My last school gave us quite a lot of freedom. There was a lot of trust in teachers. Um, And it can go both ways. Um, but I read a really good book a while ago called Clever Lands, which in which there was this woman who went to lots of different education systems, typically the ones that are like the best in the world, so Finland, Canada, Singapore. Um, and one of the things that she found consistently was trust placed in teachers. Generally also a higher level of teacher education. Um, a master's is like standard um, rather than like a bonus. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think trust in teachers is actually, all, and she noted it as well, as is a huge thing in terms of impacting um, student outcomes. But I think it's, I do understand that it's hard for schools to do that whilst also not having high standards of teacher education because like, how are you going to trust someone that mm. you don't? But then there are also, I think the other side of that is that very authoritarian, like you will teach this PowerPoint in this way and mm. give this homework at this time to this child. Mm-hmm. And you need to tell off this child in this way instead of me saying, well, actually I know that kid. And mm. that kid didn't have a pencil because they gave that pencil probably to their younger sibling to take to school. And they don't have a pencil. And I'm going to let him go get a pencil. I'm not going to give him the attention. Mm. So I think that then, then there's no space for that. Mm-hmm. And then the kids get disengaged, which is understandable because I would do that too. Mm-hmm. That Interesting. What's the difference between you now as a teacher to when you first started? 
some days I think there's no difference at all and I wish I could go back. <laughs> and I'm like, my God, this is embarrassing. I think a lot of it is confidence. I think a lot of it is just you get used to an environment and you suddenly think to yourself like, okay, I'm a bit more at home here. Um, I think part of that is also admitting when you're wrong as a teacher and saying the classic, like, miss, he was talking, I wasn't talking, or she was talking, I wasn't talking, and going, actually, you're probably right. That was me being too mm. rapid. And I think early days, I would never have had the confidence to admit to a whole classroom of 30 kids that I was wrong. Um, but I actually have found that to be really important for that trust. And they go, well, actually, like, you, she would only tell us off if she actually means it. Mm. And I don't get it right every time, but I think that's been a huge thing. A lot of it is confidence and also a subject knowledge. Like, you know when your teachers know stuff mm. and you know when they don't. <laughs> Big time. And I, from your nodding, I can tell that you both had teachers that knew stuff and teachers that didn't. Mm. And I think that's another part of trust. Kids trust you because they know that you know what you're saying. Mm. Um, and that's fine. Like, What do you think your students are motivated by? Like, what motivates your students? Like what are they doing? The different motivations that exist. Are, are there some students that just want you to tell them how to smash their exams? Mm. And like are there other students that want to actually, I don't know, go into depth within the subject? Are there mm. other students that are motivated by money? I don't know, like, what are the different motivations? So probably all of the things you yeah. said. A lot of it is, um, lots of students is exams. And I think I would love to walk into an education system in a country where it's just focused on knowledge. But I think the way it's geared right now, and I get it, if I go on a diversion about rabies, um, kids are like, yeah, but this isn't going to help me with my GCSEs. Mm. And actually, they need them. And they write, they're right. They do need them for their jobs and they do need them for their lives. And it will come to catch them up later if they don't get it. So I get that. So a lot of it is exams. Um, and I find that sometimes kids that are very confident in their academic knowledge are able to have the extra discussions about stuff because they know that regardless, they'll be able to kind of fill in the gap later that they've missed in that 20 minutes. Some kids, it is um, like family expectations it is that a big driver is i know my education is my ticket um out of wherever out is um it might not be like that they're in a particularly bad economic situation it's just they know that uni that gets them to leave whatever home is or they need uni to get to xyz um i found that to be like quite a big thing differs in different areas mm -hmm. um but where i was working before was very um uh, like had quite a high, lots of the kids were from a very good socioeconomic background, however you call it. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I do think money is a thing. Lots of kids did not understand why I was a teacher. It was very, miss, you went to Oxford and you became a teacher and they could not get their head around it at all. It was, why would you do that? If you were, you, they saw it as you went to Oxford, you had a ticket to a brilliant job with six figures, which I, I don't think it's true anyway, but, but they, yeah, they, they didn't understand that motivation at all. Um, so yeah, I think it's a mixture of those things. And also I think it's most of your time and kids especially spend a lot of their lives being judged that effectively their, their worth, self-worth to lots of kids becomes judged by how well they're doing, right? Mm. Even if they're doing badly. Um, so they actually want to do well because they don't want to feel rubbish. Mm. Um, you know, like actually getting a, getting a rubbish grade, even if you tell yourself it doesn't, doesn't feel great mm. um, because so much of society is geared towards doing well. Um, so I think it's a mixture. What made you guys want to do well at school? It's a good question. I feel like I had a I had a certain bond with my teacher that I just kind of liked impressing my <laughs> teacher. <laughs> and I just kind of like 
B and the G in class. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it kind of, there's something that that There was this moment when she, when, there was, I just remember this one piece of homework. The first time I ever tried with a piece of homework was at the end of year 10, or like end of year mm. 10. I, I went over him and above with this piece of homework, <laughs> yeah. And the, way, the positive feedback she gave really? afterwards, because I had two options, I remember. I, I wrote the homework in pencil, but I knew she would have liked it if I wrote it in pen. Mm. So on top of the pencil, I wrote on pen. So I, dub- I did it <laughs> twice, but one, one in pencil and one in pen. That's how much I was ready to impress her. And as she, you mean she acknowledged it? <laughs> <laughs> the penness, you acknowledged the penness. Yeah. yeah, the blue pen, I remember. Um, yeah, I think it was just impressing my teacher. It was those relationships, man. Mm. I think that's, the, for me, that was it. Mm. I think for me, the short answer is that there wasn't one, which is probably why f- for my whole period of education there was on, the, only the final two years that was mm. there a motivation but mm. for the large majority of it there was no motivation it was like i said kind of going through the motions mm. um because i don't think you used the the phrase kind of a ticket out for me education was never a ticket out mm. and even the ticket out it was too was something that did not appeal to me mm. as in just the thing in passing which was like an office job and you know i think when you're at school or definitely for me and my my immediate group of friends at that time the idea of an office job was like, why would you ever aspire to that? Because mm. I'm doing that right now and it's rubbish, <laughs> so I don't want to do more <laughs> of this. Um, so, yeah, I think, and then maybe perhaps in those final two years, it was the idea of, well, I'm here now and this is what I'm doing. I'm going into school every day. Mm. So maybe it was just the utilization of my time. Like, mm. I'm going to school every day. I'm in sixth form. I don't really need to be here. I could be doing something else. That, that secondary school bit where your parents go to prison if you don't go to school is ended now. Um, and so for me, I think the immediate motivation was, well, I'm here now. Let me kind of crack on with it and do, mm. and see what I can do. I think it was kind of that, just to discover my ability. Those are my final two years doing that. Mm. What more motivated you in school? Um, I think I was of the, my, I was terrified of doing badly. Um, I don't actually think that was my parents necessarily. Um, maybe looking back on it, I think it's hard to tell. Um, but I was very much, I think, of that camp of it. I tied my self-worth and who I was a lot with doing well. Um, and I think I was genuinely quite scared <laughs> of doing badly. I, I did because I didn't know what it looked like. It sounds it sounds so silly now. Um, and I think uni was a big learning experience for me here. But I, I don't think I had that. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what I wanted to study. I didn't know where I wanted to go. And so I was very much of that camp. And it's funny because I was also tied up with, I didn't actually think I was very good at it. I just thought I worked hard. You know how there are those kids that are like smart? I was not that kid. I was the kid that worked hard. Um, I was not the kid that was like, I could just knock out. <laughs> um, uh, and I knew a lot of them and I hated them. <laughs> um, but I was not them and I was very aware of that. So I think I felt like I had to work like doubly hard. Part of it was a girl thing. Part of it was a, um, uh, yeah, I don't know what else it was, but. Yeah, I think I was uh, I was scared of doing badly for sure, mm. and then I did badly at uni, and it all changed. <laughs> How did you, as a student in sixth form, change in terms of you as a student at uni? Like, wh- what was your? How did you change as a student? Oh, uh, versus sixth form versus uni. Yeah. Um, the thing is, I actually think my big change happened GCSE sixth form, okay, yeah. um, because I think I was actually weirdly similar sixth form to uni. I think when I, what happened GCSE, I was so on it. My GCSE revision notes, I peaked at <laughs> my GCSE. <laughs> my, my GCSE revision notes were 
top notch. There was timelines. I am so proud of them. <laughs> timelines on my wall at home. There was post-it notes in the bath. It was everything was happening. And I smashed my GCSEs. I was really proud of myself. And something, I don't know what happened in my A-levels. I lost a lot of confidence in myself. Mm -hmm. And I started to basically feel like I was scrambling. I was like, I don't understand things. I don't know what I'm doing. And, I, ah. and there was this panic going on in my head and this kind of like underlying panic. And so I would oscillate between doing loads of work and doing nothing and doing loads of work and doing nothing. That classic like procrastinate, mm -hmm. panic, procrastinate, panic. And so that became like my working pattern a lot at A-level, which is why I think I felt way more overwhelmed than I needed to. Um, and I think I carried a lot of that through to uni, particularly because my uni was very defined by constant deadlines. Um, there was never a, oh, you can just chill now. That didn't exist until it was a holiday. Mm. Um, and so I think because I then had constant deadlines at uni, it was very like... I'm tired and overwhelmed and I'm going to stop and I'm going to panic. I'm going to tired and overwhelmed and stop. So I think I never actually got into a healthy work pattern until like my third or fourth year of uni um, at most. Um, and I think when that happened, it was very much, you can do what you can with the time that you have. So just work slowly through it um, and give yourself time as well, rather than panicking throughout all of it and then thinking I don't understand anything. Um, but I think for me, like confidence was such a huge part of that, or lack thereof, um, was big. I've got two questions. Feel free to answer both or one of them. <laughs> one of them is, who is the most confident person you met at uni? And then question number two is like, what relationship? What's one of the relationships you formed at uni that you feel like was most was one was one of the most impactful for you? Oh, okay. Oh, there's so many. Um, I think I have a few relations. I'm going to go for question two and then cool. I'll go for question one. Question one is sitting in my head. Um, it's question, like question two. Time. You know what? <laughs> 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 Let me start with the second one. The lady with the spectacles. <laughs> I'm training to be a politician. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's go for question two. <laughs> Hope that he forgets about question one by the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the government. Yeah, no. Um, question two. Um, one of... I have a, 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 a quite a lot of these experiences. I grew up in an environment that was... The, the closest people around me didn't look or act like me, right? I grew up um, in a very white middle-class area of Oxford. Um, and I had a lot of, like, social, um, cultural, political... No, not political, social cultural capital as a result of the environment I grew up in. Like, my dad was very, like talked a lot about literature and blah, blah, blah. So I had a lot of that. I went to museums, blah, 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 growing up. And so I had a lot of that in terms of the way that I spoke and acted. But all of my friends around me were, were white and middle class in a way that I didn't always relate to. As soon as I got to uni, the most meaningful thing that happened to me there was meeting friends that understood me entirely as a person. And it completely changed the way that I interact with other people and the trust and relationship I have. I still am very close to the friends I have from school and I love them dearly. And it's not to say that. Um, I don't. And it's not to say that you can only have meaningful relationships with people that look and act like you, because <laughs> you can't. But actually having people that shared this huge part of my experience that I've been hiding um, and pretending that I wasn't, I didn't have, and that I wasn't like that. I'm like, I was always a bit less Muslim in like school than I needed to be. And I was always a bit less brown than I needed to be or whatever. All of those things I hid really consciously and I didn't have to hide it suddenly at uni. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of my relationships, particularly my... What is that? <laughs> what right. would I talk about at school? <laughs> talk about whatever. I'd love to actually. Yeah. That would be really fun. Me and, uh, to be fair, me and my family Letty really want to do one about football. Yeah, do it. I think it'd be really do funny. United and she supports Liverpool, so it's a big thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like United across two fronts. Uh, but it was funny because we were talking about like 
having a really long. I hope this is. is I <laughs> this will not be included. <laughs> we can if you want, but um, about yeah, like um, the different like stereotypes people have of like different clubs and like why certain groups. So we had a really long, interesting conversation the other day about why so many kids, particularly like from ethnic minorities in London, support Arsenal, even mm. if they don't live in North. Why it's is interesting. It? Well, we don't know, but it's just a thing. It's just a. It's true. But a lot of pe a lot of people do like actually way more than would support Chelsea. Yeah. I don't know if it's actually yeah, a thing. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a the interesting. Thing. No, but then like you yeah, think you think it would actually be split. Mm. Like you yeah. might think, oh, okay, people will go fifty fifty. But there was yeah. this kind of culture. But it was interesting because uh, the reason, the only thing we could think of was Arsenal have a history of probably in that time where a lot of us we're talking about our generation particularly, a lot of people there was that time where Arsenal was were. It was a very internationalist club. Like Arsene Wenger made a conscious effort in that time mm. to 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 like you know get people from other countries. And then there was Thierry Henry, mm, and yeah. you know there was all of that like rhetoric, yeah. a way more than. And then you kind of contrast it a bit with like the John Terry Chelsea, yeah. and you can kind of tell why a lot of kids mm. were. And it was interesting. But anyway, I was like, it'd be funny if we made a podcast out of this. That was what we were thinking at the it. time. I would 100 watch it. <laughs> I, uh, growing up, I genuinely used to think if you were black, you supported Arsenal. And every time I really? met a black guy at my primary school that did not support Arsenal, I was like, whoa! It took me a second to be like. Okay. <laughs> Let okay me process then. this. <laughs> I don't know if I just I don't know if I should tell him or should I just leave him yeah. in his ignorance like bro, really are, you, are you sure? <laughs> yeah. Well man. Yeah. Did you guys support? Not like I'm not super, super diehard fan, but United basically. Yeah. United. I I don't really support a team. I watch more I play more than I watch, but I support Chelsea. Like oh, I okay. follow Chelsea. Interesting. Yeah. Bucking the trend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. I will not follow <laughs> No, but everyone thinks I need to justify myself. My dad grew up in Manchester. That's why we support United. That's like yeah. a house, except my brother. Mm. Um, but I feel like I had to justify it because loads of kids in the 90s, it was just because they were winning everything. Yeah. 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 But we'll come back. Cool. Yeah. I don't care enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry. Um, yeah, you were saying yeah, you before were. we passed. Confidence. Uh, oh, making friends. Yeah, 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 yeah talking about yeah. being contextualized oh, yeah, 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 yeah. by yeah. the people you met at university. Yeah, very much. And so I think that having that like freedom and like complete trust and complete openness with other people was huge. Because like I didn't have that entirely with my parents. I have a half brother who um, we're really, really close to, alhamdulillah, but he, we didn't grow up in the same house because we have such a big age gap. He was 21 when I was born. So I essentially grew up on my own. Um, and all the people then around me were not white. So there were never, there were, all, there was never those people that I could just totally open up with. And having that, those relationships, and they're like some of my closest friends to this day. I think those are the people that were the most significant for me. Not academically. Not you found each other. No, no, I'm just yeah, telling you. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I was actually telling you to. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry. I thought you were like gonna have a cute moment. No. Um, <laughs> Could you just take a, take a moment to be like, I'm so grateful you brought that up because there's nothing I want to say to you. <laughs> um, I thought he was gonna have. I was, a, actually, I, can... I was actually saying, Suleiman, you're breathing into the mic. That's what I was gonna say. That's what I was like, no, it's not that. But anyway, um, it was cute. I will pretend it's a cute moment. Yeah, so much for you. Me and you, <laughs> it didn't look like that. It was the timing of it. I was like, that's cute. That's cute. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that, I think that was huge for me. That was really huge. And to the confidence one, I actually don't know. The people that I, I think, um, we talked about this briefly, is that idea that having, being confident is something that has changed so much. And I think I'm also someone who, I don't necessarily 
feel confident, but everyone, th I can act it in certain spaces. And I think I can change. I'm like, okay, I feel confident in this space, but not confident in this space. And actually that's very normal. Whereas growing up, I was like, if I'm a confident person, I'm confident everywhere, which is just not true because anyone walking into a space they're not familiar with would feel on like l looked at or uh, you know not as confident as they would be in the same way that I could walk into a room of 300 kids and be like okay fine but I could not walk into a room of 300 adults and feel like that the idea and the thing that brought this home to me every teacher every teacher I've ever met hates talking at teacher training days because you're talking to other teachers and it's awful and I find it hilarious because I'm like you lot, your whole life is talking to other people talking to kids but because you feel that sense of confidence in that space you're used to it and you can talk for days um so my definition of confidence changed a lot but even so I think I had um the person that comes to my mind really immediately is my friend Mubeen who I know you both know um and he was the one that, uh, the reason he I don't know why he comes to my mind um, as the most confident, but I think he's always had this sense of um, himself that might change, and I think ebbs and flows with time, the same way that everyone's concept of themselves change as they grow up, but has always been like at the forefront of who he is and is expressed very openly in who he is, and I think that lack of almost like fear or hesitation and that sort of openness to the people and the spaces around you and the ability to like almost blend yourself into those spaces like kind of without fear I don't know if that's how he feels that's how I feel on the receiving end of it is what confidence feels like it means to me now um and you know I hope to have part of that but he's very cool his podcast is very cool throwback guys if you're watching <laughs> check out the last 100%. episode of have you met 100%. so man same question to you that you asked Nabila How's my idea of confidence changed? I do agree. I do. I like. I, I kind of. What you said about Mobin definitely resonated with me in, in the sense of just. I assume. I kind of. I guess. Yeah. I did. I used to think being vulnerable or like being open about your emotions or like what you're mm -hmm. feeling or um, the experiences you had was. N now I see it as a very confident thing to do. Mm. And it. Because it, for me, if you're able to do that, with like sincerity and you, you actually mean what you say and mm. that's your genuine response to a question it it, it kind of it means you're sure of yourself in in a lot of ways and it means that you're comfortable in your own skin and you're yeah that, that that's you're not too afraid of how other people will see you and this that's just your answer so you're being is also it also shows a lot of integrity as well mm. like you're, you're being truthful with your response so i think vulnerability and um, all of the all of the things you kind of mentioned, yeah, that are part of confidence for me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Nabila, how would your friends describe you in secondary school? <laughs> in secondary school, oh gosh, I again. So I I'll do pre year ten foghorn moment and post year ten foghorn foghorn moment. Pre year ten, I think my friends would describe me as. Um, Probably quite, I'd like to think, mm, I think quite reserved. I think always someone, I, I think, I've, and actually this stands through to all pre and post year 10, but someone who's able to like mold quite differently in different spaces. So I've always been like, I might be studious in the classroom, but not necessarily outside, you know? So I've, I think that that kind of idea of someone being quite reserved, I'm, I probably was quite reserved in a classroom space and did what I was told, generally kind of kept my mouth shut. Um, I was quite arty. Um, I liked like doodling stuff and creating stuff and doing kind of weird stuff in my own time. 
um, playing with muscle Iranian families. Had an active imagination. That was pr- pr- like in primary school. I was not the weird year 10 kid. Are you sure? That yeah, I don't know. That sounded weird now. Um, but probably, yeah, I think, I think like quite reserved in maybe like those sort of big group situations, but actually like in, in sort of like personal interaction, like I'd hope quite like friendly um, and chatty. But I do think I was someone that was very... Um, uh, like I was quite anxious, I was very unsure of myself for a lot of like growing up. And I think I wore that quite openly, obviously. I think everyone knew. And and in, I mean by that, like I was very like, I'll do what the other people think is like cool. And so it wasn't necessarily coming from me what I was doing or how I was acting, but I think I was very um, kind of adaptive to what was like cool at the time or what I thought was like the right thing to say or the cool thing to say. Um, and so it took me quite a long time to like settle into myself. So I think maybe the pre year 11 version of myself was much more like that and much more like adaptable kind of like go along with what was being said at the moment including like yeah I've seen that film I've never seen the film or you know listen to that music or whatever it was (laughs) um and then I think kind of post year 11 I was a lot more um I was a lot louder (laughs) I found my voice um literally and I I'm like by far the loudest member of my family now um, so yeah, I definitely think I got a lot louder and I got a lot more, um, yeah, able to sort of like navigate different social groups. I think I had a very close group of friends, but I was that like, I liked being friends with a lot of different people and I carried that through to college. Um, so I think I definitely developed that. So yeah, I think, I think it transitioned for sure. One question I have for both of you. Mm. What's your ideal Sunday morning? See a Sunday morning, yeah, that goes like you, you, you could do whatever you want on a sun on that on that yeah. Sunday morning. What's your mm. ideal way to spend a Sunday morning? I sleep in. Non- I actually have become a morning person, but only because I have to be. Um, like I have no option, work and like school, so you kind of get used to it. Mm. So it would involve some like additional no alarms, like that kind of sleep, yeah, not yeah. excessive. Um, a good breakfast like a decent breakfast probably made for me but also maybe made by me I like, <laughs> cooking. I like cooking so it's fine yeah yeah starts with it starts with a cup of coffee that is 100% made for me because I I'm not very good at making coffee but like you know like the bougie like a flat white yeah. you know someone's like either made it for some reason there's a barista in my house <laughs> and they made it um I probably I really like going for walks it would involve going for a walk um having a wander around that's probably about it that's probably a morning isn't it yeah that's also one of the questions on um you played the thirty six questions to make you fall in love. Really? Yeah, it's a, it's like describe your perfect day. What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like I was like, is that where these guys oh are getting man. their ideas from? They <laughs> just like oh. written these questions yes, out. Oh <laughs> I had to bring that up. I had no, to No 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 <laughs> no. Answer the question, big man. Go. First of all, cite your sources right now, bro. <laughs> <laughs> we're, not, we're not going any forward. I need to know. New York Times. Okay, following Nabila's format, breakfast, I would have the yogurt, the Greek yogurt from Aldi. <laughs> that oh. is 5%. Is because it? there's no other yogurt that compares. There's so much yogurt that says, Greek and in style in the tiniest writing and it's just like why are you guys being just tell me it's Greek just say call it another name um so that one and then blueberries so that's my breakfast because I don't usually have breakfast but that's like cool then something like a walk like being outside 
those are the two components of like, okay, cool. This this day's going well so far. Mm. It's setting me up for the rest of mm. the day. Oh, what about you, Sullivan? Similar answers to both of yours, to be honest. Mm. Um, maybe just a bit of writing or some sort of like, yeah, just... Oh, yeah, me too, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to claim that. I'm not writing anywhere. Yeah. What's that? What's the best bars, Every day, every morning. Gotta respect the hustle. That's it. Someone's gonna hear this fire someday. I don't know how, but someday. Okay. Um, Nabila, you mentioned at the start about a film, and you said something that was interesting. You said it was the first time I saw mental health being reflected in a way that resonated with me, or something like that. What did you mean by that? I meant that I think that uh, up until that point, I don't think this because it doesn't exist. It's just my exposure up to that point had I then been with a very, very extreme, like, uh, m- you know, like mental health conditions. I'm talking like, you know, people experiencing like a type one bipolar, like very, very extreme, like patterns of behavior um, in that association or a kind of like overly dramatized, like the trope of like, the the you know like the woman crying hysterically all the time so it was either one of those things that all I'd kind of seen exposed in media and my experience personally had been like of mental health particularly to that point had been this sense of being able to cope and then not being able to cope and being able to cope and not being able to cope and those two things being like so tightly juxtaposed and being able to go between them multiple times in the same day and in this film this is really um really touching scene where she talks to her partner and her husband about it and she's like I can't like you know you've like you can walk away and he's like I can walk away and it was a really emotional scene of like her kind of accepting that she wasn't um, there's no spoilers there of kind of accepting that she wasn't she wasn't able to make that decision for someone else and that she had to kind of accept the people that she had in her life and the people were there to support her in the way that she could. And all she was really doing was kind of understanding whatever traumas she'd been through as a child and whatever ways she's seen the world and how that's affected the way she operates. And then kind of navigating that as like an adult in her own right and a mother and a partner to her, to her like husband. Um, and yeah, it was, it was that oscillation that I remember seeing a lot, you know, like she... She had, um, there's a scene where um, she has a really intense episode. And like, honestly, just spoke of like, she's in the hospital. Two hours later, she's like, I need to go and like sort this out with someone. And I remember that being such an acute memory for me of being like, I can't cope at all. Like in like having a panic attack in the library. And then two hours later, I'd be like, fine. And I wouldn't be fine. I'd probably be quite jaded and had a big crash of adrenaline, but... I would, like, it's that I can cope, I can't cope, I can cope, I can't cope, and kind of finding spaces, extending the space where you can cope as long as you can. Um, and I've always kind of said it that way. It was like, I I was never trying to get to the point where you never have a bad day because it's just not possible. There will be things outside of your control that will throw a bad day onto you, mm. right? Like, a thousand things could happen. Sure, if I, like, someone I love gets hurt, I will have a bad day. If I didn't, I'd be weird. Like, you know, there are things like that that I can acknowledge will always affect my life. But it's like having more good days than bad days has been kind of the aim from then on. And I remember seeing that film and it really, like, touching me because it felt honest, you know, and it didn't feel like it was relying on a trope. It was just her experience of, like, what it felt like to be completely overwhelmed by life and then completely fine. How's the the way you deal with bad moments in days changed? So much. I think I have 
um, been in therapy for a year. Yay. Um, big advocate of therapy. I don't used to be, actually. I had so many counsellors that I have funny stories that I probably won't retell. I could, but um, I used to be my most, like, uh, what's the word? Not like obnoxious, <laughs> maybe obnoxious, if I'm being fair to myself. Self in counselling sessions. It was very one-to-one. -one. I was like, you don't understand me. You don't understand <laughs> my experience. Because um, I felt like I was having therapy with someone who didn't understand me and didn't understand my experience. It was, why don't you just talk to your parents and tell them how you feel? I was like, that won't help. Um, not because they don't care, but because that's not the problem. Um, and anyway, so, but so for the last year, actually nearly a year and a half now, um, I've had therapy and had like been really grateful to have a really amazing relationship with my therapist, who's also um, Muslim and... Um, I think she's Pakistani. Um, and so we have kind of like common ground there. And it's nice to be able to like not have to overly explain certain things and overly explain certain dynamics and particularly family dynamics. Like I think sometimes you have to go, oh, I guess not how it works out there. And you end up just having to explain it, which is fine. I appreciate not everyone's from the same background as you. And I don't think therapy only works when someone's of the same background as you. But I think speaking to her has meant that I've suddenly felt, actually not suddenly, over a long period of time, learned to know that I have the resources to cope with things that come up um, and the resources to almost like take this in moments of panic, go, okay, there's this part of my brain that's like taking it, trying to take over and there's another part of my brain that's underneath it. And that, that voice that's underneath it just gets a bit louder over time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of the best way I can explain it. Um, because two years ago, if I was two days away from a deadline, I would not be this calm. <laughs> <laughs> I probably yeah. won't be in like 20 minutes. That's <laughs> fine. No, 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 you're very, very calm. I was going to say, what keeps you calm? But then you kind of, I guess, answered the, you've kind of answered it, right? Like, yeah. just kind of knowing that you have the resources. I think, yeah. And like that idea of, I used to say this to myself a lot, it's like you can only do what you can with the time you have. Mm. Um, and like, I can give myself a time, like let my body have the time to process whatever madness it needs to do. Because sometimes it is that, right? It's just a bodily response. I read this book, my dad actually recommended it to me called The Body Keeps the Score. And I would really mm. recommend it to everyone. It's a really, really interesting book about how like trauma manifests in the body um, at a very micro and macro level. So people that have, you know, historical, what you would probably conceive of as trauma of like war and, you know, et cetera. But also like day-to-day -day traumas within families and like emotional traumas there but about how that manifests in your body and that sometimes it is just like someone's poked you and it's like a, a wound screaming going like ah, just stop walking for a sec like you sort of step on an injury it's like just stop walking for a sec and actually just going giving myself five minutes to just sort myself out and breathe and like reorientate myself just it makes so much difference but it took a long time, I think, for me to be able to feel like, number one, I could do that. Number two, doing that would help. Um, and yeah, the idea of like knowing you have the resources within you is huge. But yeah, stopping for five minutes, the power of five minutes. I should write a like book. You know, like the woman that wrote the like lean in book? Yeah. The power of five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Nabila Qureshi's TED Talk. Watch this space. Yeah. Um, has there been an event or a moment in your life that has been particularly formative for how you view the world, how you approach things, or who you are? I think that probably I always think of like different periods of my life as like big swathes of time, you know, of like there was this huge like 
period that that did this for me and i actually think that the kind of um the last two years have been big for like me as i think an adult in terms of like reforming my identity outside of educational spaces <laughs> i say that as a teacher me being a student in an educational space because it was constant i've done nothing else since i was six so i think like forming my identity outside of that and like coping with what i deem to be failure like navigating like new relationship with my parents as a adult like as us being two adults related to each other rather than an adult and a child which i think is probably impossible but we try um and then kind of being able to figure out what i wanted the whole uh, kind of voice throughout my head for my whole life is like you don't know who you are and you don't know what you want because i've been so defined by i know that this other person wants this from me or i know this other person wants to know i can do that mm. i can do what they want and so like trying to figure out like do i want what they want or do i want it because they want it or do i want it because i want it has always just been like a, a bit of a mystery to me so i think the last two years have been like i think probably one of the most formative periods of my life in terms of i'm not there but helping me to like find the like strand of my voice not talk about harry potter but there's a um visual that i always have of when dumbledore like stores his memories in this like mm. big bowl sometimes draws them out so i think of it as like drawing things out from my head in the way that he draws things out from the bowl of um this is who i this is actually what i want and this is like me talking now whatever that is might change that's fine because i will change but right now i can honor that um and i think that's been huge whereas before that i don't think i necessarily had like this is a formative experience that's going to change me there probably were like what people would define as like this is you know you know like family deaths in the family or like big periods of movement um starting uni all that kind of stuff but i actually think that the last two years have been pretty mad for that and i think therapy's been a huge part of it to be fair i think the decision to do that was pretty big um for me um and actually do it in a way that you put yourself into it rather than what i was doing before which is like i don't need this mm. Mm. but also i do need this mm. i don't know why i whispered that but <laughs> <laughs> i felt like it worked in the moment at this stage of your life, what's one thing that you can offer the world? And what's one thing that you want to learn from the world? That is a big question. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, it, wasn't, it, wasn't <laughs> it wasn't from the 35 questions. That is not. I can tell you I've done that list. <laughs> um, a very interesting list, though, unrelated. Would recommend doing it with a friend. Um, not so that you fall in love, but actually it's a way of getting to know someone really well. Very interestingly phrased question. Not the point. Um, but how... Oh, my God. What do I think? I'm going to do number two, the number one, um, in that order. Um, what do I have to gain from the world? Um, honestly, so much. I think the last year has been about... Um, I've kind of thrown myself into a lot of more, like, community organising and stuff. And I think what I found is... Um, I've learned so much from listening to the voices of people, um, not even just in challenging situations, but actually just listening. Um, and I think that I've, I've actually made it such an, I've tried to make an effort to listen more over the last year than I have before and then act on what I've listened, not act on necessarily what I think of what I've listened. Um, and I think that's been like the biggest thing. And I'm, I'm really excited to, try and do more of that as I like interact with more people throughout my life but also um challenge a lot of 
not necessarily like misconceptions that I've had. I mean, that as well, but also like develop my understanding more thoroughly of um, particular intersections of oppressions and things like that we talk about very casually, but actually like when you really listen and try as hard as you can to remove yourself from it, which is very hard and I don't think I do it perfectly at all, um, has been, I think that's the thing I've learned the most from and I'm excited to keep doing that. So very trivially, meet more people, but also uh, at probably a different level, try and like making more effort to listen um, intently. And I'm an over talker, so that's quite hard. <laughs> but um, has actually been quite big in terms of like removing like your, having confidence and simultaneously removing your ego from a space is a challenge. But I think there's that for sure. So for me that, I think that's the thing I'd like to gain more from the world is just learning people's experiences and also reading a lot more books um, as kind of a match to that. Um, I think it's kind of two sides of the same coin. Um, what do I have to offer the world? Oh my God, um, I don't know. Um, I hope that I have to offer... Harry, Harry Potter presentation <laughs> slides. I will 100% <laughs> offer a great chat on rabies, great <laughs> chat on Harry Potter. I didn't really talk about it, guys, it's quite impressive. Um, I, hope, I, hope, I think I hope more that I'll be able to offer um, important, like respectful and trusted spaces to students that I teach. I think that has to be the, I feel like if that's the remit of what I'm expecting of myself and what I'm expecting to offer and do well, I would be like kind of proud, not proud of that, but I'd be, um, that would be what I'd want to do. And I think that if I kind of set myself that rather than like, I'm going to create, I'm going to change the education system forever, which would be great. Um, I don't think I am. I don't think one person will, but I think that doing it like a space at a time through a classroom is a big deal. Um, so I think I'd hope, I'd hope to do that because it's really, really hard. Um, and I think the more you like learn through your experiences of like, even like academic writing, I, I can like take some of that into the classroom and go, okay, this is a space I want to generate. And then like then mimic that in community spaces across. Um, so I think, I think, I hope I'd have to offer a trusted space to some kids. Do you know what's going to be so cool? Your students will have this conversation of miscreation. <laughs> Yeah, when at the beginning, like at the near the beginning of her journey yeah. as a teacher, I'm like, that's just so cool. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? That like, <laughs> your students will have access to this, and you'll have access yeah. to this, and just yeah, this is special. I should just play it. lesson number one, <laughs> right, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Obviously, Miss Karisha, you need to remember the name. Remember the name. <laughs> remember the name. <laughs> write it down. Write it down. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Um. Both. Tell him, man, you gotta go first. It's your question, <laughs> bro. Question. <laughs> what can I learn from the world? I, can't lie. I don't think we can follow. We, we can't, can't follow, follow the really like yeah. yeah. like Come on. <laughs> I just said people. Nah. <laughs> nah. <laughs> I mean, exactly what you said is in terms of learning from the world. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I yeah. think we should. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually the thing that my question, kids ask me the most just while we're here or the actual no, no, yeah. is like I always do the you know like underneath something I do that like the two like uh, air quotes apostrophes. Oh, no yeah. no like written down oh, it's yeah. meaning like ditto like same as the above and no one knows what it means I didn't know if I was like I didn't like know about that what do <laughs> you mean? <laughs> so like if you've written like something on the line above and the line underneath if you want them to just like do that again you just put like two apostrophes ditto and I was like, it means ditto. And they were like, what's that? And I was like, is this like a thing that my dad does? <laughs> and so I just think everyone does it. I know there's a Pokemon called ditto. And is it? Okay, skill that's is fine. to just morph into the Pokemon it's facing. 
That that's that would make sense. It. That would so make it came sense. from Pokemon first. It yeah. came from Pokemon. Yeah, okay. I was a Digimon kid, so can't relate. <laughs> it's edgy like that. Digimon is so much worse than Pokemon. It's not. It's just objectively it not. It is so much. There's too many components. <laughs> Have you heard of Occam's Razor yet? Pokemon <laughs> meets Occam's Razor. Digimon's got too much stuff. <laughs> it's uh, the complexity that makes it beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> um, on that note, uh, Nabila, thank you so much for coming through. It's been a wicked conversation. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah, you lot, Nabila's starting her own podcast. <laughs> yeah, watch out <laughs> for that. <laughs> It doesn't even, like, she's so lit, it doesn't even matter what it's about, but I'm yeah. sure whatever it is is going to be about, it's going to be cool. Um, and this is definitely one place where you can come to find out what, where you can find the Beatles podcast when it exists. Yeah. So um, you can come to us as the uh, sort of third party. That oh, just yeah, yeah, I'll join the Have You Met family. <laughs> yeah. That's it, 100%. That I just plugged the Beatles podcast. Anything? Any, any last words, final, final words? words. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, what? Yeah. That was a beautiful final question. I'll leave it on the Digimon note and just. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, do you want to end with like uh, just a headline fact about rabies since that's how it started? It is the deadliest virus because it. Im- okay, so headline facts are difficult. They it infects your muscle cells, hides in there, shoots up to your brain. There's only like 14 people in the world that have ever survived it ever. Um, so the head, my headline fact is, to be honest, get a rabies jam if you ever get bitten by something, even if you don't think it's going to give you rabies, because you won't know you've got rabies till at least a month later, and then once you get the symptoms, you will die. So my my PSA, get your rabies jab if you ever get bitten by any kind of animal. This is why you need to stay to the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Every episode, you need to stay. The longer you listen, the more likely you are to survive. <laughs> Knowledge. Yeah. Knowledge is power. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much.